Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me on State of the Art Podcast. I'm your guest host, Meg Zaney. For those of you who are confused, State of the Art decided to expand their niche beyond art and tech to include a variety of topics which have shaped the state of art as we know today. With this in mind, I've been invited to take over the podcast for the month-long discussion exploring sex positivity and the art of shaping body politics. Let's dive in. In this episode, we speak with co-founder of Arsenic, Amanda McAuliffe, about sex positivity in today's social media world. McAuliffe will share thoughts on long-term effects of social media, Arsenic's direct part in shaping sex positivity, and art. Please help me welcome Amanda. Amanda, you have sat, do sit on the board to more than five different companies in silicon manufacturing, restaurant biz, real estate, and automotive. From inception to distribution, you've produced more than 20 works in film, music videos, and commercials. And my personal favorite You race Formula One cars and play polo. However, you are so much more than that for Arsenic. What are some of your current contributions to the success of Arsenic? First, I should correct. I race Formula Three cars. I wish I raced Formula One cars. (laughs) But there's probably a few few people who would take issue with that. (laughs) Um, And then the question, what are some of the... What are some of your current successes that contribute to Arsenic today? That's always a tough question because, you know, Arsenic is one of the most collaborative companies I've ever been in or around. So it's hard to tease apart any single person's contribution. Uh, The things I'm most proud of are the collaborations that we've done with artists as well as uh, female entrepreneurs. We work with a company called Sloan & Tate that was a female-founded loungewear company. We work with um, a lot of very female-forward, female-supportive and empowered companies. Uh, KO Watches, for example, has given a lot of uh, social media influencers uh, a start, and so I'm super happy and proud to work with them. We uh, really, really strive to create a community that allows people to be themselves and to showcase their work, but also build a brand that they can monetize around that. So I always describe Arsenic as a for the people, by the people. But for those of you who are listening, will you share a bit more about what exactly Arsenic is? Oh, the impossible question. I know, I know. It, it, it's tricky. Um, it is very much for the people, by the people. Uh, and we talk a lot about the dem- democratization of content um, when we when we talk about arsenic. But it's a it's a platform. Uh, we have very provocative roots, uh, which a lot of people shy away from. But at the end of the, the day, it's a platform uh, that supports artists and allows them to build their brands and to shine. We do that um, by bringing the audience into the conversation. So we've sort of inverted the traditional uh, publisher audience or publisher reader paradigm. You know, originally publishers and editors would decide what it was the con- that people wanted to read, what the content was going to be. They would print a magazine, they would send it to people. Fil- feedback might filter through several months later. They might print a few letters, but that was sort of this total uh, conversation that went back and forth. Arsenic every single day is constantly talking to our audience and getting feedback and finding out what it is that they want to see more of it who they like, what photographers, what models, 
what artists they want to, you know, get to know more or to see more of. And then we reach out to those people and we, you know, continue to collaborate with them. So it really is a a magazine that is for the people by the people. It's completely uh, built from the ground up by our audience. And, you know, the audience is also the creators. Which is just awesome. Um, And what is, and this is a a struggle, but hot topic conversation in terms of keeping it fresh with also people of color and LBGT plus 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 community. Do you find that you get a lot of people seeking this, wanting this? Um, How do you go about bracing that? Or do you find struggle in embracing that? You know, I think the thing you hear most at the Arsenic House is just do you or be you. Whatever, you know, and we really, we try to embrace all all people. We are very much a you can sit with us kind of, you know, environment. Uh, and so, you know, we embrace everybody and all types and, you know, really are open our doors to the community and and people to come and shoot here however and whenever and whatever format that they really want to so long as they're good vibes uh, and they treat other people well and with respect. And so, you know, using that as a razor, there isn't a lot that that is conflicting. If if someone is cool and they treat other people well and they reach out and they want to collab or want to shoot here, we're really open to having that conversation. Well, and also, I kind of want to bring up your demographic who's employed at the arsenic house look at that ratio <laughs> look who's actually doing the uh <laughs> the the director of talent i mean a young woman is uh, people are often surprised uh by the fact that you know arsenic was co-founded by a woman uh many of the people who work here are women um you know we uh have a lot of minorities that work here as well uh, there we I mean, I could tell you that there's not a single white male that works at Arsenic. <laughs> so that that typical idea of of what uh, who wins or you know who who sits at the table or who ha- is in a position of power does not exist at Arsenic. It is a very mixed group of people, both in ethnicity and uh, sex, and we're super super proud of proud of that. I th- and I think it's also one of the things that keeps our company young and fresh and divi- diverse and open to new ideas and new trends and h- why we can stay on the sort of the forefront of what's coming instead of, you know, following other people. Absolutely. Also, um, for anyone that's listening, can you share how to submit for either uh, <laughs> models or photographers? Absolutely. If you send an email to arsenichouse at arsenic.tv, uh, you can submit your work or reach out with whatever way you might be interested in working with us. We're always looking for new people to collaborate with, as well as community members that are just down to help out when we have different things going on from various, you know, art installations to photo shoots, parties, events, you name it. None of this happens uh, without the help of everybody that's part of the community. Which is for the people, bad people. Yes. <laughs> um So do you feel that arsenic is shaping sex positivity and pushing the needle forward towards cultural advancement? I hope so. I mean, we're certainly part of the conversation. It's, I think we're also in the eye of the storm. And so, you know, it's easier for me almost to reverse the question back on you, Meg, and say, do you think that arsenic is, you know, really moving the needle? I know that... Um, my days uh, touch on it every day. And it's a pivotal part of any conversation I have about arsenic. It's hard to know when you're in the middle of it, whether or not you're having the impact uh, long term. But I believe slowly, uh, we are changing 
the way that people view women, their sexuality, what they choose to to show and not show, and whether or not that should be baked into somebody's opinion about women. I think more and more people are realizing that how many layers of clothing a woman chooses to wear should have absolutely no bearing on how intelligent we think she is or how worthy she may be in other ways of her life that, um, you know, a woman can choose to be provocative or sexy. She can choose to wear a bikini or lingerie on her Instagram and it has no bearing on whether or not she is a good person, a smart person, whether she can bring great ideas, whether she can elevate a conversation, whether she can help her fellow human. And I think we see that more and more and social media helps us show people the multifacets of different people. And I think that's super important. You have a lot of women that are multifaceted. I mean, you have, I'm trying to think of an example right now, but you have women who are, not only are they models, but they also build websites or, I mean, you have just women that, that have dual purposes so many. in life. We have, yeah. we, have, um, we have women that are MBAs. We have women going to law school. We have women that graduated in the top of their class and in various science fields, math fields. Uh, of course, we have women that have also pursued, you know, creative fields. We have uh, athletes. We have worked with more than one uh, Olympic medalist. Uh, we've worked with, you know, champions in martial arts. I think we continue to defy this sort of this idea that, you know, if you're a pretty woman with a nice face or a beautiful body, you can, that that's all that you are. And, you know, I... I challenge that notion and one of the major platforms or tenets of arsenic is that is the idea that you shouldn't judge anybody by how they look. And if you dig a little deeper, you find most people have a lot of different parts that make them up. Yeah, which is something that I'm definitely proud of. And then every time I learn about someone who has all these extra things that they can do, I'm always super shocked and it's fun. Not super shocked. I guess I shouldn't say that, but just super like amazed and inspired. Yeah, it is. But I think, and I think it's important to also recognize when sometimes you're surprised because, you know, those cliches or those ideas exist for a reason. And, and I think part of shattering those is acknowledging that perhaps we all pass judgment on various people for various reasons and really look inside ourselves to understand why that is so that we don't continue to do it. I think everyone at one time or another has made a split second decision on, on, who they thought someone was and discovered later that that wasn't the case. And pretending that we don't do it isn't going to fix it, but acknowledging that we do it and then really breaking down those behaviors so we don't continue to do it, I think is really important. It's super valid. Yeah. Um, so since first, since arsenic has first started, um, have you seen more of a shift um, in what is ex- uh, like anticipated or accepted on or not accepted on social media. So like content-wise, has there been a shift? Uh, there, I mean, there's definitely been a shift. It's always evolving in some ways. And I think, I think we've actually kind of gone through a couple different shifts. When we very first got on social media – it was a little bit still the Wild West. And you could, no one really knew what the rules were. No one knew what was and wasn't allowed. You just kind of posted until you got a notice that maybe you shouldn't put that up. And then you were like, okay, there's that line. And then you try again. And then there was that line. And over time, 
things became better and better defined. And it, and it, you know, now there's sort of, even if it's not written down, you kind of know what you can and can't put on, on some of the bigger platforms. But, um, and then I think there was a period where it got really conservative on some of those platforms and slowly, even those have pulled back. Like I can remember there was a time when you really would never at any distance put a bare bum up on Instagram. And now Instagram openly allows that, you know, as long as it's not too close. So, you know, I think the platforms are constantly changing and reacting to, to the audiences. And I do believe that um, what was socially acceptable content to put up for the and for a, especially a non-influencer or a non-model two or three years ago compared to now, uh, has gotten a lot more liberal and a lot more open. And I think people are a lot more open to, you know, as they say, women feeling themselves and, and, and enjoying that and feeling good about that. And I think that, you know, there's less judgment than there was a few years ago. But do you think that, um, like, there's a, a ton of good? And what good have you seen if you have seen a ton of good? You know, I do. I think there. I definitely think there's good in social media. I am not naive or blind to the fact that there's, uh, you know, some very negative things that have come about. But I have seen and been part of uh, dozens of women, if not hundreds, growing their social media to a point that they can monetize and completely support themselves. Uh, and do that in a way that they are their own boss. They make their own decisions about what companies they want to work for and with, uh, you know, what day they want to work, when they want to create content, when they want to go visit their family, when they might want to, you know, go for a hike or play with their dog. They have an enormous amount of freedom that's afforded them because of having a platform and having an audience that they can, you know, monetize through sponsorships and brand deals. I think that's amazing. I think there's a world of women that are their own boss today that would never have been five years ago. I also think you see a lot of empathy that just didn't exist. It, you know, you used to, a news story used to feel very far away. And I think social media has really changed that. And that somebody who's struggling or, or facing really difficult times feels a lot closer to home when it's coming up in your feed or when you can DM that person. It no longer feels like a news story on the other side of the world. It actually feels like something that's happening to a human being that could be next door, even if they're not. And for that reason, I actually think at the end of the day, social media is going to have an incredible impact on, you know, the the world and and the as we know it. And I think it's going to change a lot of things in the same way that the news really changed, you know, how we saw war in the 60s. I think you're going to see social media really change about what people find acceptable and acceptable to ignore and acceptable to think, oh, well, that's not happening to us, so it doesn't matter. I think that people will really start to realize that we're all, you know, in this together and it's one world and social media will bring people together. That's really interesting. So so long-term good, This it sounds like you're almost alluding to that this could solve our fake news problem. I, I believe it will absolutely follow our, solve our fake news problem. I think that there's a short-term or a micro issue in that people tend to post a small sliver of their life and, you know, sort of pretend that's everything and I think people sort of, the jig is up. Like we all know about filters and that people take 800 selfies and <laughs> that we're all, you know, just taking our best life and putting it out there. And that's fine. Everyone's doing it and, you know, go for it. But I don't think anyone's fooled to the point of believing that's all that's happening in anyone's life. But more important in the long term, I absolutely believe that social media will shape, you know, uh, cultural issues worldwide for the better over the course of the next decade or, or two decades. And I think we'll look back and 
be able to point to sort of this moment of Twitter and Instagram, you know, really in Snapchat being born and how it affected how we look at social economic issues worldwide without a question. I, I just guess I really wonder how how it's going to continue to shape and how people continue to look at individuals. It seems like people are more willing to embrace sex positivity when it's affiliated with a brand versus on an individual level. Oh, don't. Don't even get me started. One of the <laughs> the most con, I, I think you set me up. One of the most regular questions that I I get is when I'm I'm challenged as a female founder of such a provocative platform that uh, you know a lot of people will question my uh, motives and question any coercion on my part uh, with the models. And if you spend any time at the Arsenic House, there's absolutely no question that there's zero coercion. I I am only about people doing what makes them feel good on any given day. And you can change your mind 14 times. And I'm like, great. Um, but a lot of people will sort of say some version of, well, I would understand if they were doing that for Coca-Cola or, or for a brand, you know, if they were going to sell something, if it was an ad or if, there, if it was in a script for a movie, okay. But they're just being sexy for themselves. And then they're sort of drop the mic as if they've said some profound, shocking thing. And the thing that I think is so shocking is this idea that it's not okay to be sexy for yourself. It's only okay to be sexy if some brand or some director or writer or someone writes it in for you, and then it's okay. And it, it seems so counterintuitive to me. I think that the number one thing we should all be is true to ourselves. And then if you want to be true to yourself and choose to work with a brand or choose to be an actor in a script, Great. More power to you. But I think we should all start out with what what feels good to us. And if being provocative or sexy is empowering, then by all means. And the inverse is true, too. If you're not somebody who feels better by showcasing yourself in that way, then don't. You know, uh, I think that the, it really, really has to be a very personal choice. And I don't think anyone should feel pressured to, to do anything that they don't want to do, uh, including, you know, be in front of the camera. You'll almost never find a picture of me because I, I choose not to be in front of the camera. It doesn't, that doesn't make me feel better about myself. Helping other women build their brands and helping other women have more opportunity is, is my version of feeling uh, empowered and better. You know, I believe that empowered women empower women. And so that's where I get it from. But to knock somebody because they get their power from something else is a really sad injustice that happens far too often. And how do we go about reshaping it, though? I mean, that's the biggest frustration, I think, is like, I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's sitting here having these conversations, absolutely. And and just reiterating, too, that that just because you're not taking your clothes off, you can still be sex positive. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, politely challenging people when when they clearly have a problem with a woman choosing to be uh, sexy or provocative and really just asking them, like, what is it about that that makes you uncomfortable? And what is it about their choice that that you have trouble with? And, and really try to understand other people's point of view. Because I think in that conversation, a lot of people will discover that at the end of the day, maybe they don't mind as much as they think they mind. It's just they're sort of been taught that they're supposed to mind. Um, 
But at the end of the day, it's not hurting you. It's not hurting anyone else. So, you know, let them be them. Right. And I feel also this day and age, you can live in a bubble and not see any of that if you choose not to see that. Absolutely. I, I mean, I mean, almost too easy. You know, as we get more and more smart technology, I, it's almost frightened me how you can thumbs up a handful of news stories and suddenly that's the only, you know, version of news that you're seeing. It's almost too easy to put your blinders on if you want, which is, you know, in its own way, unfortunate. But I don't believe that anybody should have to live by anybody else's rules as long as you're, what you're doing isn't hurting someone. And so if you choose not to partake and and view, you know, sexier content, I think that's great. And if you choose to view it or participate in it, I think that's great. It's it's really, again, it should come down to personal choice. Absolutely. Um, what do you think about the label sex object? Well, I don't like the word object, period. So I guess I reject the label sex object. Uh, and I think I would, and I reject that about any animate thing. Um, an object should be inanimate. It shouldn't be living and breathing. And so I believe that it's very important that we don't put that on people um, and, and don't set out to create content with people in which they are viewed as a sex object. So there's no way to spin that to ever become a positive title, in your opinion. The idea of a person being an object, I think, is a negative. Um, so no, I don't think you can. I don't think you can spin that into a positive thing. But, but I think that's really just about you know, you say tomato, I say tomato. I mean, you know, I don't have a problem with a with a woman who chooses to be sexualized being um, sort of a titillating uh, artistic expression in the eyes of somebody. I just don't like the, I think when you put object onto a human, no matter what they're doing or, or whether they're being sexy or not, it's, you're forgetting that that person is living and breathing. And it goes, and it's the other, it is the downside of social media. And I get frustrated with this too, is that people will say and do things on social media, especially toward other people that they would never do in person. And so I think that's part of my rejecting of this object title is that I want us all to remember that when we're viewing social media, there is a human being on the other side of that account and, and to treat them as such. And if you wouldn't say that to somebody in a bar or at a restaurant because it would be rude, then don't say it to them on social media because it's still rude. And I think um, part of the reason I really would like to object to the idea of somebody being a sex object is I think it becomes far too easy to forget that there's a person on the other side of that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I like that. I, you know, I think for, I always want to try to have that like silver lining or see if I can ever try to flip a scenario into or like even just change vernacular right like where yeah you just you're just like oh dude sex object yeah you know but I I do guess I kind of have to agree with you then on holding true to what an object really is and if you don't change that vernacular to then end up being a a, a person. Um, yeah. Uh, cool. So 
I also think like the word feminism, speaking of changing <laughs> vernacular, um, feminism and feminist, uh, it, it, that that has such like a negativity attached to it. I think maybe only recently we've gotten to be a little positive about it. But what, like, what, what? Talking about changing things. What's uh? What, how do you feel about that? Well, I. It's an interesting thing that um, I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't understand. I agree with you. A lot of people seem to have some negative idea or some allergy around this idea of being a feminist or saying I'm a feminist. And I, I don't understand. I, I do remember being a young girl growing up in Texas and this sort of idea of, of feminism as a negative thing kind of in the back of my mind. But so much has changed since then that I don't understand why the word in this day and age carries some negativity. So my plan is just to say it as often and as loudly as I can and hope other women will join me to the point that people are just as proud to say they're a feminist as they would be to say I'm a woman or I'm a man or I'm a human. Because at the end of the day, that's really all it's about is the idea that women should be equal to men, not better than just equal to. And so I'd like to say very clearly, in case anyone hasn't figured it out yet, I'm a feminist. I'm a very, very proud feminist. So would you say linking words together, um, would you say identity politics, feminism, sex positivity, are those all the same, in this, like lumped together in the same category? Well, they aren't, but they should. I mean, I think they should be. I, I am, I am continually surprised by also the number of women who call themselves feminists who don't like a whole lot of other women. There are a lot of feminists or self-proclaimed feminists who have a lot of judgment around choices that other feminists make or other women make. I guess they don't deem those people feminists, uh, especially when it comes to sex positivity. There's this divide in female politics. Um, around whether or not women who choose to be sexy or provocative are somehow antithetical to the idea of, uh, you know, feminist beliefs. And obviously, I'm not one of those. I believe very much that feminism should be about equality and personal choice and people being empowered to make any choice they want so long as it's not damaging to, you know, the world at large. And I mean damaging in the sense that, you know, no, you don't get to murder people. No, you don't get to mistreat or abuse people. But if you personally make a choice that's good for you, then you should be empowered and able to do that. And I think there's no greater statement for feminism than the idea that all women should be able to make choices for themselves, not just women who happen to agree with your point of view. And I think we have too much of that. And I think part of the reason that we haven't moved the needle more in 30 plus years with a feminist platform is the fact that a lot of women are still fighting with each other. And I think um, when we stop making negative comments and negative uh, opinions about other women and come together, we will very quickly see a lot more change happen in a positive way. I fucking hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, so, so then also then like the identity politics bit, like, do you think that that fits in there too? 
that to me isn't about feminism. That's about just people politics. You know, it's the, the, the bottom line is it's 2019 people. You know, let's stop passing judgment and deciding for other people who they are, how they should identify, what they should do, and just accept all people as equal and call it a day. Um, and I actually, I think it's really important to not mix up, you know, what's a female issue, what's a male issue, and what's a person issue, and just accept all of those things as as people issues. So do you think that sex positivity is inclusive to men as well? I think it should be. Um, I think far too often it gets lumped into a, you know, female-only category. And, you know, I think that's not surprising. I mean, there is no word for slut. If you're male, there's only a, a, a there's a, that's a feminine word, you know, that applies only to women. And so I think men don't get lumped into sex politics and sex positivity so much because they face a very different set of standards. The reality is men have sisters and mothers and daughters, and they should want there to be an even playing field and an evening of the slate and acceptance for men and women as much as women do. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I look at it too and like, well, like male models, I mean, someone has to do the job. So like what kind of feedback are they getting? And on that level, you know, they should be swept in there too. I mean, I, I feel like they also get torn down, especially in the LBGT community. Um, they that's- do. But I do, I think part of the difference is you do have to, it's still, you know, the, it's still more likely than not that the person on the other side of that camera is going to be a, a man. And so I think that part of the reason that male models don't face the exact same stigma as female models is really goes back to the idea of the male gaze. And it, it is still so often that, uh, all of that is through, through the eye of a man. And, and so for that reason, it doesn't feel like they're being sexualized by women in the same way that women are constantly feeling like they're being sexualized by men. I guess that'd be really interesting topic to bring up to a gay man and how how they feel. I mean, is it? I guess I just really wonder now, and I'm I'm probably I feel like I'm gonna digress on this question about like, do they feel like they are being uh, objectified by a male though too? Like, how does how does that happen? Fascinating conversation, and I would love for you to explore the question because my guess is is and. And I don't know. I want to be very clear on that. I am not a gay man. But my guess is in the in the gay community, so many of the things that we're talking about are applauded. And and at least um, you know, pe- very op- people are very open minded to you know people expressing themselves in whatever way they want. And there's a lot less judgment in general, at least in that direction. And so for that reason, I think that regardless of what sort of the intent is behind the photo, it's not stigmatized in the same way as it is with women. Yeah, I think that's it. It's the stigma. Um, What kind of feedback, speaking of, well, and kind of going back to women and how there's still a lot of friction of women against women, what kind of feedback do you get from outsiders or women who aren't models? You know, I'm... I'm really, really proud to say that we get a lot of very positive feedback from uh, women that oftentimes reach out and say, you know, that 
they weren't comfortable with their body or they weren't comfortable with uh, with themselves until they, you know, really sort of saw through the eyes of uh, a lot of the arsenic models, you know, what it's like to just sort of not give a fuck and just be excited about who you are and go out there and make it happen. And, uh, you know, and a lot of the women that shoot here also talk about how they often go on set and they, you know, you're, no matter how beautiful you are, you're always comparing yourself to other people and, and you're uncomfortable and you're not sure if you look good in that. And then come to the arsenic house and it's just like, everyone makes me feel beautiful all the time and I love it. And so for that, I'm really, really proud. That's one side. Certainly there are women who look at the um, arsenic account and without any questions or even any diligence to see what arsenic is or what we stand for, make an immediately assumption, immediately just assume that this is a, a sexy account and it's just about women being, you know, sexy for likes and and that's the end of it. And they don't bother to ask any questions or to go to our website or to even look and see that we have other verticals and just sort of, you know, write it off without digging deeper and, you know, assume that a lot of things about the women that are on our page is, as being just, you know, empty headed, pretty girls. And it's a stigma we fight and we'll continue to fight. And at the end of the day, I feel sorry for the women that, that immediately pass that judgment to go through life, assuming that your fellow female can only be one thing is tragic, but it also, I think, says a lot about the person making the assumption who very often, uh, you know, feels like they were only one thing, whether it's a, you know, whether it's they're only a pretty girl or they're only the funny girl or they're only this smart girl. But I think a lot of times when people make that assumption about other people, it's because that's how people have always sort of treated them. So do you, does anyone ever call you out and send you DMs of hate? I don't really get very many hate DMs, but, uh, you know, for as much as arsenic is on social media, I'm not on social media all that much personally. So uh, people might find that if they sent me a nasty DM, it could go unanswered for a very, very long time. So I don't recommend that. <laughs> I certainly, you know, um, the only time I'm really ever called out is um, mostly in the business world, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't have a lot of issue, you know, um, and mostly people that are... Uh, older than millennials. Most millennials uh, are pretty open-minded and pretty chill. And and for the most part, like, even if it's not for them, they're like, cool. But when I find them, when I deal with my my contemporaries and, and both men and women, and then people older than me, um, I start to get a lot of questions and people are confused by by what it is and how can this this be anything other than just, you know, some lad mag, which we couldn't be further from. And Billy Hawkins is your co-founder. How do you think his responses differ from what you get when people find out what you do or and what you have created? You know, he, Billy has has a the disadvantage of being a guy, which I know people listening to this are going to be like, what are you talking about? But it's actually really easy for me to sit here and talk about women should be able to be provocative. Women can be whatever they want to be. I'm a woman. As a, as a man, Billy has to walk a really, really careful line because um, there's a lot of assumption around political correctness that happens when you're a man in this world. And I think he's an incredible champion of women. He's 
you know, always worked with a lot of really strong, uh, very ambitious, very driven women. And um, he and I were friends for a dozen years before Arsenic because he was clearly a man that really respected women and was really open to women being as good as men at whatever they wanted to be. He was raised by a very strong, empowered woman. Um, and so I think he's not naive to the fact that women have a set of challenges, unlike a lot. I think there's a set of men that just don't really realize the day-to-day, -day, and I think he's very aware of it. But in many ways, I think he would have a harder time answering these questions because as a man, you feel like you can't necessarily you know, say what's on your mind or own that in the same way that a woman can because you'll be judged for it. So I think he's forced to to have to filter things, you know, through that. And I can be uh, probably much more blunt than I should be, but it's a lot harder to challenge a woman on a woman issue. Yeah. I feel like you've been perfectly blunt on this podcast though. Yeah. Um, so with that said, Arsenic also has other verticals. Yes. Music and art. Yes. Which I'm super proud of both. Um, you were also, I mean, so just to like shed some more light on some of the art things that Arsenic has gotten behind, you just recently produced a show. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah. Um, it was, it, it's an amazing piece that I think is so interesting, especially in this sort of social media age. I was able to produce a show uh, that Scott Nathan put together as the artist called Confessional. It was at Freeze. And it was uh, a series of video portraiture that really studied the idea of how long it would take for somebody to be themselves in front of the camera. Uh, Scott's a commercial photographer and has done a lot of beauty photography. And he was asked during an interview, you know, is it true the camera never lies? And he thought that was kind of an absurdly funny question because in his world, all the, all the camera does is lie. And, you know, they would set up these beautiful, perfect shots with these unbelievably already beautiful women that had very best hair and makeup and then this perfect lighting. And then he would take a picture and then they would go into Photoshop and make it even more beautiful. And, you know, the commercial photography world is very much that way. And you're also talking about like one one thousandth of a second captured that's perfection over the course of hours and hours of any day. And so, yes, that moment might be true, but it's not a true depiction of the entire story. And it really got him thinking, and he kind of was wondering, like, how long would I have to point a camera at somebody before I actually saw their true self? And so he started experimenting with this, and he shot over 110 women, I think it was 118 women total, and just turned the camera on. They were shot in black and white, very simple lighting. The women wore, had no makeup on. Their hair was not done. And you can really watch as the video progresses. You can see this in almost every single one, this moment where you can just sort of see somebody relax into themselves. And you don't see that a lot. And it's a really, it was a really, it's a really magical thing. And I think that it's important to remember that. You know, I work with a lot of influencers and I applaud women showcasing themselves in whatever way they feel the most empowered. But I also think it is important to recognize that there's a true self and that's not always what we share on social media and that that self is important too. And, and the balance is what's going to keep all of us from 
going out of our mind. And so I was really excited to have our stick, uh, you know, get to work on work on that project. And I applaud Scott for what he put together. And I'm excited to see what else he does with it. I think it's a really important piece that that can start a conversation that should be had. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. I and the cool thing too was that what there was a what he did it all towards one song. Yes. That Everyone listened to the same the same uh, Miles Davis song. And so they the women all really had very much the same experience. There was no one else there. They were alone with the camera. They listened to the same music. And so to the best of somebody's ability over something that took several years to do, he really, you know, kept the the situations very, very similar. And the music is really haunting and beautiful. And you can sort of see the emotion, the emotions of the music also play across their faces, which is incredible. Yeah, I, I thought that that was a really cool thing that kind of strung them all together. It was really this like, yeah, like how everyone reacted given the same scenario. Yeah. So it was really cool. Um, also... Yeah, Arsenic has done a bunch of art stuff. You guys were at Basel. Um, we, we installed, thanks to you, an <laughs> epic wall that I'm still incredibly uh, proud of just because of the scope. It was huge uh, in Miami. Yeah, 20 feet by 90 feet. Yeah, it was big. I mean, it was certainly the biggest thing I ever got to be a part of. I don't think it's your biggest anymore, though, right? Didn't you? No, it still is my biggest. Oh, is it? Yeah. I thought the Boston wall might be our... Massachusetts, Salem. Oh yeah, the Salem. Owl. Salem was. Uh, Salem may have been close. No, that was three stories, and this. Oh yay! Yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, good. I want to be your record. Also hold it. Yeah, you know, and we we collabed on uh, probably the downtown women's center last International Women's Day was probably one of my things that I'm most proud of having worked with you on. Um, but I love I love the. Uh, Arsa Gallery, and I love our art vertical, and and I hope to continue to do more and more of it. We would love to get more involved, and I think people don't necessarily think of arsenic first in that space, but I'm hoping we change that. Which is what I'm also working to change. I want to um, be able to have more people involved. And so I do this thing where, um, much like how Arsenic first started, which was on Snapchat doing takeovers, um, doing takeovers with artists. So I sort of, uh, during the summer, actually, it's a little bit more of a hit because people from all around the world can partake where it's just a takeover of a day in their life where they create an art piece. Um, and it's a ton of fun. So send me your submissions if you want to do an arsenic gallery takeover. Um, but also, I mean, I guess I kind of want to just touch on what Arsenic Gallery really is and how they like to hang out with artists. I mean, we had an artist from New York that was over recently painting on a wall and we, it's someone that we had been talking to forever from Basel, um, but just allowing them to showcase their work on Arsenic Gallery platform or, you know, having artists here at the house for a paint day where they paint canvases and then they leave them, um, to display around the house. I mean, we we definitely have a lot of amazing canvases from amazing different artists that that that's sort of what the house is here for is to embrace just every sort of aspect of art in terms of, you know, music, modeling, just all the the culture of the the 
the cool things that are that are happening. Um, we do. Don't, isn't there a music event coming up soon too? Do we have another something? Is that there's I- there there's not a dated music event coming up, but there is definitely some music events in the works. We are also kicking off our our next summer Fridays at the end of March. We start early in California. And, uh, you know, there's always a heavy music component to Fridays. And we oftentimes have people playing live music on Fridays at the house, which is very much just a, you know, community hang, if you will. And that is meant to be uh, a collaboration between people and all sort of works of art. And nothing makes us happier than when we find that people who met at the Arsenic House have gone on and collaborated on other things together, whether it's art or music or photography, modeling, you name it. And a lot of times it's a cross-section of all of those. That's really what the, that, that's what the whole idea is. Um, yeah, it's, it's rad. Uh, what, so you also, I also kind of want to touch to um, Arsenic has Elemental, which is a creative agency. Yes. So, you know, The past few years, we've learned a lot about social media and working with influencers and sort of the idea of supporting brands, but in a really authentic way. We've been lucky to collaborate with some really amazing brands that share our ethos. And I think it's very important when you're working with and collaborating with brands that that they are truly uh, aligned. If, you know, audiences are very sophisticated now and they don't want to be advertised to and they know when something doesn't feel organic or real. Um, but at the same time, we all want to discover new things and, and, um, we are consumers. So we've had a really great time and learned a lot about the right campaigns and the right things to put together. And, um, we've discovered that we're pretty good at throwing a party. And so (laughs) last year we thought, um, we wanted the freedom to pursue, interesting collaborations and brands that might not necessarily, you know, fit perfectly under the Arstic umbrella, but still uh, allow us to work with our creative community, um, you know, which is, though we work with a lot of provocative, you know, people, we have a lot of, you know, you know, women that do a lot of fitness and we have musicians and artists and a lot of people that are much broader than just that sort of, you know, typical arsenic brand that you would think of. And so we started a creative agency called Elemental, and it is uh, social media marketing and uh, experiential. Uh, and that's what, and so basically now we work with brands, uh, you know, on influencer campaigns and social media campaigns and um, a lot of experiential events, which really is a big fancy word for really dope parties. Uh, and we're having a great time doing that. Um, and so I kind of can't wait to see what else we get to do in 2019. You know, we, we've done, we did some pretty fun things in 2018 and just recently, even last weekend, we worked with Flan Labs and we got to have a petting zoo and, uh, brass band in the house and some amazing, you know, Southern food from Mardi Gras. We've got some other cool ones coming. So keep an eye out. Saturday, that was definitely my favorite arsenic party to date. It was mine too, and in the pouring rain, which somehow the, made it kind of better. It was this like controlled chaos where yeah. everyone was sort of freaking out, like low level freaking out about the rain. And then there was a petting zoo, and that somehow yeah. like made everything okay. Yes. And I just want to go uh, the petting zoo was by the nicest people ever, and they rescue all of the animals. 
uh, and give them nice, happy homes. And we had a really good time with them. They were and all in really good shape, they too. Were. Those animals were loved. Absolutely. Very much. Very, very much. And um, But I looked outside at one point, and I mean, there were the people eating and drinking in the rain, like, just because they didn't care anymore. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. It was so un-LA. I know. But that, that you know, we hear that a lot here, that, they're, that like the pretension of L.A. and that sort of the idea that you have to be a certain way or you have to act a certain way or you can't eat or you have to only like a certain kind of music. You come to the Arson House and it's like all gone and you can just be yourself and have a good time and, you know, no fucks given. Well, yeah, because I'm always that kid shoving cupcakes in my face in the yeah, corner. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so. Like the first I start with what's, what, what, what dessert are we having for this party? And then we work backwards from there. <laughs> my favorite. Um, cool. So as we finish up this podcast, I want to just kind of do a couple rapid fire questions. Um that have nothing to do with arsenic or anything. Just kind of fun. Um, you ready? I is I, will I mean, ever I be? guess you could say <laughs> no. You could decline rapid fire questions. <laughs> okay. Lay it on me. I'm ready. Uh, favorite color? Green. Favorite book? To Kill a Mockingbird. Really? This shouldn't be that surprising. No, no. I just... What is the name of my dog? <laughs> Scout. But I didn't think that that would be the... Re- okay. Um, do... You don't have to share, but do you have a favorite possession and is it a memory or an object? I definitely don't have a possession that's an object that like... Like if my house was burning down and I got out with my dog, I'd be happy. The rest is just stuff. Uh, I have a lot of really amazing memories of being a kid and um, having an enormous amount of freedom compared to a lot of children to kind of explore the world and travel a lot. And so I don't know if I have a single favorite memory, but the like total of being allowed to skip school to go on an adventure with my dad is, you know, which happened repeatedly. It's probably my favorite thing about my life so far. That's awesome. Um, I think that concludes rapid fire questions. All right. Not too terrible, right? Thanks, Meg Zaney. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for being guest on this episode of State of the Art. Uh, thank you all for joining us. And you can learn more about Amanda McCallum and Arsenic on uh, Arsenic at IG or IG Arsenic. Um, or Snapchat, um, arsenic.tv. Be sure to tune in next week, and I will still be your guest host, and I'll be talking sex positivity with Uncle Reezy. See you then.